Welcome to Calvary 316. On behalf of the elders and myself and our families, we'd like to wish you a very happy Easter. Um, I, for those of you who don't know, my name is Zach Adams, and uh, I am the pastor of Calvary 316, back from a four-month vacation. It was uh, an interesting ride. Um, I will say that I had a New Year's resolution to lose some weight this year and uh, accomplish my goal. I lost 50 pounds. It took me just two months. I call it uh, the death diet. I don't recommend it at all. Before we get to this morning's text, which will be in John chapter 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there, <clears throat> I do need to get just a couple things kind of out of the way. Um, first and foremost, um, I was in a coma. I'll get to all of that. I'll address kind of the elephant in the room. Um, <clears throat> when I awoke um, and then exited the fog, so to speak, it dawned on me uh, that I pastored a church and was the only employee of said church and thought, I wonder if it still exists. And so I called uh, one of our elders, Larry, and said, Larry, uh, how's Calvary 316? And he said, uh, we're still here and we're doing well in the Lord's blessing. We miss you. We're excited for you to get back. Uh, but you still have a job. And uh, I was very excited to learn about that. And, uh, but I will say this. Um, Andy and I have had conversations over the years um, about how you evaluate a ministry, how you evaluate a church, how you determine something that's very difficult to determine. And that is whether or not something is a, is a genuine work of God through the power of his Holy Spirit or whether something is a work of, of a man. There's, there's no doubt that uh, God has called me to this church. Uh, it has been a crazy journey. Uh, but, you know, you always kind of think, well, um, is this something I'm doing or is it something that God's doing and I'm just lucky to be a part of it? And the easiest way to figure that out, easiest way, really the only way, is remove the man. If you remove the man, observe the ministry. And if the ministry continues and thrives and grows, well, you know it had nothing to do with the man. Look around. This is my first Sunday back since December 19th. And the ministry is healthier than ever. And God is blessing Calvary 316 and working at Calvary 316. And it has nothing at all to do with a man. But is it everything to do with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit? And the pastor of this church uh, still very much was in control. His name is Jesus and not Zach Adams. And it's a testimony, truly, um, to the incredible family that God has assembled here. So many of you, and I, and I can't, I could take all morning to go through um, all of the details, but so many of you, um, in my absence, uh, divvied up my job and made sure that the bills were being paid and the mortgage was being taken care of and the pulpit was being filled and worship was taking place and people were being ministered to. And again, uh, it's a work of God. And isn't that fun to be a part of where you know it's not a work of a person, but you're part of a work of Jesus Christ. And to that I say amen and amen, right? I must also say, just to start with, um, I don't know if you're aware but we serve a miraculous God. 
We serve a God who performs miracles. And I don't know what's going on in your life and whatever you're facing, and it might seem to be the most daunting, challenging, insurmountable thing you could ever possibly imagine, and you think there is no way apart from the supernatural. Well, you serve a supernatural God. And I attest to the power of Jesus, and I am not here apart from a miracle. So if you need evidence of, of the miraculous power of Jesus Christ, I'm sitting here. And I don't say that to toot my own horn because you guys know me enough to know it wasn't me. <laughs> it was Jesus. And no matter what you're facing, Jesus is just as powerful to intervene in your life as he was mine. And, and I must say that and I must add that there is power in prayer. For those of you that are in this room, I know that you have been praying, and I thank you. I thank you for your love and your support, not just on my behalf, but also for my family. Um, I slept through a lot of it. Uh, my family didn't. My family has been through the ringer, um, and, and I'll get to a little bit of that in, in a few minutes, um, but I thank you for your prayers. Um, for those of you that are watching online, um, <laughs> I got a, a picture of a group of Sudanese chaplains on the front lines having a prayer meeting for me. And there are people all over the world that have been praying. And again, if you need evidence that there is power in your prayers, um, I hope that I can testify that there is. And again, I thank you so much. Uh, finally, one more thing. Um, <coughs> um, I don't have good use of my arms. Um, that's still, I'm doing physical therapy and occupational therapy. Uh, for those of you that have been around Calvary 316 for any period of time, you know that I am uh, very dependent on notes. Uh, I, I script out my Bible studies. Very hard to type when your hands don't work. Um, not only that, but I like to, to use my arms to, to talk. Um, I'm quite animated. And um, there is a scene in Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby, has been in a terrible car accident, has lost his mojo, and, uh, and his deadbeat dad is like, Ricky, it's time to get, to get back in the groove. And there's only one way to do it. And so they, uh, they get in the, the, the muscle car, and he's like, Ricky, put on this blindfold, and you're just going to have to feel the road. And Ricky's like, are you sure? And he's like, yep, it's the only way. So he puts on the blindfold, and he hits the gas, and he hits every car down the road crosses over the median, runs into a house, the house blows up type of a thing. I kind of feel that way a little bit, not having my use of my arms. Hopefully we'll avoid hitting every car down the road, uh, but I would, I would appreciate just a measure of grace for sure. Um, I, I, I anticipate uh, being able to stand behind a pulpit sooner than later, um, but I do covet the fact that, uh, that there's this nice comfy chair. Um, I, I will spare you, uh, in, in Hebrew culture, uh, the time of Christ, it was customary for the rabbi, the teacher, to sit. And so I'm sitting, just being Christ-like. <laughs> but it was customary for the audience to stand for the duration of the sermon. So for the next 40 minutes, <laughs> I'll spare you that. I'll spare you that. If you could, let's pray. And, uh, and then we're going to dive uh, into John chapter 11. This will be a bit of a different Easter message. 
um, we're going we're gonna to work through a test at the text. It's quite lengthy. Um, there's really one big point we're going to draw from it. Uh, then I'm going to speak just a little bit um, to what I've gone through over the last few months. Uh, there's a purpose to it. This is all about Jesus and not Zach, but there is a point behind it. And then we'll wrap things up this morning with a big point of application uh, based upon what I've kind of really learned uh, through my own experiences. And I think you'll find it very relevant not just to Easter, not just to resurrected life, uh, but to your own life uh, as well. So if you join me, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I will never take for granted uh, the ability to speak, uh, the ability to breathe. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, you knew me. You know me. And you've still blessed me with this wonderful privilege to be your mouthpiece. Lord, you promise that when we are weak, in your Son Jesus and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will meet us in our weakness. And you will provide supernatural strength. And Lord, I've never felt weakest. Never felt weaker. But Lord, I know that you're, you're more than willing and able. Lord, I pray that this morning, Lord, it would not be my words. No one needs to hear what I have to say, but what you have to say. So, Lord, may I decrease so that you can increase. And, Lord, may we all leave this morning with a word from you, a word from the God of the universe, the same word that spoke all things into existence. Lord, I know you're very willing to speak things into our existence that might not be there presently. Lord, we love you. I thank you for this church. Speak to us. Work in this place. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. John chapter 11, again, we're going to read uh, quite a few verses. Um, one big point we're going to draw from it. Verse 1, again, John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, John adds, <clears throat> who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And again, Jesus deeply loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus, really the whole family. And when Jesus heard this, he said, again to those that were there, this sickness is not unto death. Now that's a promise, isn't it? But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. And isn't that kind of an odd thing? There's a crisis. There's an emergency. The one in whom he loves is sick. Those in whom he loved have called out, appealed to him to intervene, to come quickly. Jesus, again, hearing this, he pauses. He stays, we're told, two days. Then he said to his disciples, again, after these two days, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And you're going there again, they asked. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus, he sleeps. 
but I go that I may wake him up. Well, the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, if, if the man is sleeping, like he'll get, he'll get well, he'll get better. And there's some logic to that. However, and again, John kind of adds a little commentary for our benefit. John tells us that Jesus spoke of his death. So Jesus here, he knows that Lazarus has already passed. They thought, however, that Jesus was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them private, plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Again, that's a sermon in and of itself. We'll pass it. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb, again, of Lazarus, four days. You should keep in mind, four days. Uh, when you're dead is a long time. Uh, four days means that uh, he's beyond repair. Uh, his brain has liquefied. His eyes have liquefied. I mean, the man's not coming back. Uh, his blood has separated the plasma, the platelets. Uh, he is definitely without question, dead as a doornail. He's been dead for four days. Now, Bethany, John adds, was near Jerusalem, about two hours away, so it's a suburb. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brothers, so this was all customary. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she gets up, she goes out, she went, she met him. Mary, however, was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, and man, you get the humanity here, don't you? Lord, if you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there's faith in that, isn't there? You know how many people Jesus has raised from the dead? I mean, it's count them on a hand. It's not many. I mean, this takes faith. Faith to believe that Jesus had the power to raise her brother. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, I believe if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And again, we still see credible faith on the part of Martha. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And note the word will. There's a promise here. So Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking of the loophole here. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Again, if you want to highlight something or circle it or underline it or all of the above, please note again Jesus' promise. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come. He's now calling for you. And as soon as she had heard that, Again, she's still in the house with the mourners. She arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, so he's making his way. He was in the place where Martha had met him. 
Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary had rose quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. And again, just one of the things I love about this story is the humanity behind it all, the rawness. She fell down at his feet, the worship, the adoration, the tenderness, the love. And she said, again, kind of echoing what her sister had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And so he said, again, in the midst of this groaning and this troubling, he says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And again, one of the most powerful two words in all of Scripture, we're told that Jesus wept. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons that Jesus wept. Again, there's kind of an immediacy to it, isn't there? When you're running, you're reading through the text, you know, there's this activity. Where is he? Where have you laid him? And then, boom, Jesus wept. He comes overwhelmed with emotion. He's grit in his soul. He weeps. And in this word weep, in the original language, it's not that he, he shed a tear. <laughs> it, it was an, an overcoming with emotion. I mean, it was a sob. It was one of those type of cries where you, you kind of have to retreat to the shower. Because it's not just the tears, it's the snot that flows as well, right? I mean, this was a, a gripping type of, of movement, of weeping. And so the Jews, they said, see how he loved him. And of course, Jesus did. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, I think in response to the doubt of many within the crowd here, the questioning of his motivation, of his intention, groaning in himself, he came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, him who, who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, you sure you want to do that? By this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Again, the old King James, for those of you uh, that might have grown up reading the old King James, uh, it's a much better translation uh, of this. Uh, Martha says, uh, Jesus, he stinketh. And no doubt, after four days in the tomb, uh, he did indeed stinketh. But Jesus said to her, did I not say to you? And again, he reminds him of this promise that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And then it's amazing. We're told that him who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, those standing by, loose him and let him go. And no doubt Jesus had to specify who needed to come forth. Lazarus. Why? Well, it was a graveyard. And Jesus, if he had just said, come forth, 
Uh, all those laying in that graveyard would have thought to themselves, it's my turn. And there would have been many that would have come forth, and yet it was just Lazarus. Now, this is an amazing story. In fact, you could, you could teach five different sermons uh, of application from all the different angles of the characters involved. No doubt there is an incredible application of the text to those just standing by, those uh, bystanders, the Jews, the power of Jesus, his authority. Man, you could, you could, you know, the idea of the power of Jesus, his words. I mean, that would preach. Lazarus come forth and a man dead for four days comes forth, healed. No doubt the idea of, of him being resurrected to life, being bound, needing to be loosed by his friends, ministered to and cared for, that would preach as well. The application for Mary and Martha. The doubt. Have you ever been in a situation where crisis has come to your doorstep? Where things have spiraled out of your control? And those thoughts hit you? But Jesus, where are you? If you had been here, you could have done something. Again, such a thought would preach. Lazarus. Oh, man. Did Lazarus do anything to earn the intervention of Jesus? Did he do anything to deserve it? In fact, we, we really don't have anything about Lazarus at all within the scriptures other than this story. A man dead. He did a good job dying. That's his contribution to the story. He died. And yet Jesus loved him, didn't he? We don't know why. Sometimes we sit back and we think to ourselves, Jesus, why do you love me? I've done nothing to earn that, to deserve that. In fact, you know me completely better than anyone, and yet you still love me. And you're still willing to call me forth to life. Lazarus, what his life looked like after the fact. I would have loved to have heard Lazarus preach. You know what I mean? Four days, dead. What he could have told us about life. Again, you could take a whole sermon and just talk about Lazarus. None of these are my intentions. I only bring them up, so maybe you study it on your own. The big point that I want to draw from the text this morning, the relevant point, is the macro point. It's the big point. It's the, it's the big lesson behind what Jesus was doing in this story. And really, it gains clarity when you take into account that what Jesus is doing here is within the shadow of a monumental event, an event that was coming, an event that was on the horizon. What Jesus is doing here is he's prepping not just Mary and Martha and Lazarus and his disciples and the crowd of onlookers. He's prepping the whole world for what would come, his death, and being laid in the tomb for three days and then his resurrection. You see, in this story, what Jesus is articulating to the world, a point that is applicable, relevant, important. Again, when you boil it all down to one simple idea, Jesus is letting everyone, you and I included, he's letting us know that when it comes to life and when it comes to death, the physical world has zero power over either. In fact, the only one that has the power over who lives and who dies, and when that appointment comes, is Jesus 
and he alone. He allows Lazarus to die intentionally. Word had come, your friend whom you love is sick. Jesus could have dropped what he was doing in that moment. He could have come, and he could have healed Lazarus in that moment. And yet Jesus intentionally sits back. Not because he didn't love them. Again, that gets repeated, doesn't it? Over and over and again. Jesus loved these people. He had a purpose. He allows Lazarus to die. And not just die. He allows a funeral to happen. He allows the the customary burial process to commence. He allows him to be placed in the sarcophagus. And the the stone rolled across the front. He allows the burial cloths and the anointing process. He allows all of this to take place. He allows Lazarus' body to reach the point where he stinketh. And then he comes, and he says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. And there was no doubt, no question in anyone's mind that Jesus had power. Power over what? Power over life and power over death. And it didn't matter at all about the physical world. It didn't matter what the doctors said. Jesus is the one that calls the shots over life and over death. Now, I bring this story up because over the last, well, I would say month and a half to two months, I I have not been able to escape this particular story and and really its application for for my own life. Again, this is is kind of the point within the message where I'm going to pivot just a little bit. It'll all tie together, hopefully, Lord willing, by the end. My life. Christmas Eve of this past year, I woke up with a fever. The night before, I had gotten cold. I was prepping for Christmas Eve, was working on my Bible study. I had gotten cold. You know what that's like. You know, you just don't feel right, feel a little off. I got up, I went in, I made myself a cup of hot tea, thinking that would remedy it. Still was cold. Took a shower, couldn't shake it. Ended up telling my wife, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tap out, take some Mucinex. I'll be fine in the morning. Well, again, I woke up Christmas Eve with a fever. And as a result, I called Larry. I said, Larry, I'm running a fever. And as a result, I'm not going to be able to make it to Christmas Eve service, just as a precaution. I know COVID is making its way through the community. I got a fever kind of within our policy. It's just, it's just wise and prudent. Uh, you guys are going to have to handle the pig roast. Uh, one of you is going to have to figure out a Christmas Eve service uh, message. And, uh, and, and I'm just entrusting it to you fellows. Uh, I got to kick back and relax. Man, even that afternoon, the fever broke. I was feeling good, thinking, it, I could be at Christmas Eve. And my wife was like, no, you can't. You had a fever. You got to stay home. So Christmas morning, woke up, was feeling rough few days pass, and I'm like, I finally need to go to the doctor. Now, if you know me at all, I'm not a doctor kind of guy. Um, last time I was in the hospital or visited a doctor, I was probably a toddler. Um, again, a little overweight, won't lie, uh, but in great health. Just didn't have a, didn't, I just didn't go to the doctor, but was feeling miserable. So at that point, it's like, I should go. I went to the doctor. It was a Tuesday. Went in, they did a COVID test, sure enough, like many of you. Tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. 
Doctor takes a stethoscope, listens a little bit to my lungs, says, You're, you sound fine. You'll be good by the weekend. You know, at the time, Omicron's making its way around, which was, a, a, you know, a weaker variant. Okay, that sounds great. So go home, cl- climb back in bed. Don't get feeling better. I'm taking anything and everything I can buy over the counter, just kind of nosediving. I go back to the doctor that weekend. I said, Doc, it's the weekend. I'm not feeling any better. He again takes a stethoscope, listens to my lungs, says, you sound great, you'll be fine in just a few days, get some more sleep. Tuesday comes around. Again, a week from when I had been diagnosed with COVID-19. I crawl out of bed in the evening. My wife helps me to the restroom, and I look down, (coughs) and my fingers and toes are blue. I don't know if you know that, but I'm not a Smurf. So blue fingers and toes, not a good indicator. Something's wrong. Jessica, you need to call 911. At the time, Jessica had COVID as well. She's not feeling well either. Paramedics come, meet me in the bathroom. They load me into the gurney. They take me out, put me in the ambulance. And it's at that point I'm laying there, and this big burly guy takes this mask, and I mean crams it on my face. Well, my natural reaction is that's rude. I called you. And I start thinking I'm suffocating from the mask. So I start, natural reaction, how dare you? And he gets on top of me. Big burly guy with full arm sleeve tats, and he looks down at me. I think I'm suffocating from the mask, not realizing that with an oxygen rate of 42, I'm suffocating from the inside. If Jessica hadn't called 911, I would have been dead in an hour. I would have stayed asleep, and my wife would have found me in the morning dead. He looks at me, and again, I'll spare you the colorful speech, but he looked at me and he said, you're not dying on me tonight. And at that moment, I realized that I had a problem. Not that the blue fingers and toes weren't a good indicator, but when the guy says, you're not dying on me, uh, that's uh, alarming. Get to Walton Piedmont. They rush me into the ER. They cut my shirt off. Uh, They only do that if they're expecting to defib you, to paddle you. I find that out later. They go to town. They start working on me. My wife, my father, (coughs) they get to the hospital. Nick and Terry come over to watch Mabel. My mom's watching the kids. I remember the first night in the emergency room. And for me, after that, my world goes dark. In fact, my world goes dark until the end of February when I start to gain some memory. And the first date... So I was admitted January 4th. The first date I can remember is March 4th. Now, over the course of that period of time, I nosedived. Um, It was a traumatic experience. Um, The local hospital was not equipped uh, to handle my case. Um, That resulted in me being transported uh, to kind of the Piedmont hub in Atlanta, Piedmont, Atlanta, 
Um, I ended up um, with my kidneys failing. I was on dialysis. I needed uh, a blood transfusion. Um, at one point, um, my body swelled up like a, a watermelon. Um, I had a terrible rash. They couldn't figure out what it was from. Um, I was in full failure. Um, they did a full CAT scan to see if my brain was still functioning. Um, got to the point, and again, I'll spare you with all of the details because, again, this is not about me, but I'm setting the stage for Jesus. My family was notified um, that I was going to die, that they gave me no chance to survive. Um, because of where I was at, I was in a medically induced coma um, because of just the condition that I was in. I was in a coma for a month. Um, as a result of the coma, my arms fell out of joint, um, which is why I have uh, uh, nerve damage, which is causing the atrophy within my arms. I will recover fully from that, praise the Lord. Uh, but I was in terrible shape. Uh, the hospital policy was that only one person could come in uh, each day. Uh, things were so dire, they let both my brother and my sister uh, come in to say goodbye. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law from New Jersey flew down uh, to say their goodbyes. Uh, my brother was planning my funeral. I uh, was working on a PowerPoint presentation of photos. Um, they gave me no chance. My dad called the doctor, said, what needs to happen? And he says, Zach needs to wake up, but that's not going to happen. Well, February 3rd, which is my son, my middle son, Theodore's birthday, my brother Mac and my sister Natalie were in the emergency room, uh, the ICU room, excuse me. <coughs> and lo and behold, I rolled over <laughs> and opened my eyes and freaked everyone out because I was supposed to die. And yet I opened my eyes. Again, I don't remember any of this. Um, I was in quite a fog. The nurse starts bawling her eyes out. Come to find out after the fact, Ashley, her name, had prayed that morning that I wouldn't die on her because everyone that she had 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 died. And she couldn't take it again. And so she prayed to Jesus that I would live, and then when I woke up, she thought, you got to be kidding. She started pinching the daylights out of me to keep me awake. Even at that point, again, I'm traked. I've got tubes coming out at, well, every place that you can have a tube coming out of. They told my dad, even if he lives, you need to lower the expectations for your family. Zach's lungs are so damaged, he's in such poor condition that he will never, and I quote, he will never preach another sermon again. <laughs> what the doctor didn't know is that I don't need my lungs, I'm full of hot air. <laughs> never preach another sermon again. The next month in the ICU was brutal to wake up and have no idea what happened. I just went to the hospital. And then I wake up and I got a tube sticking out of my neck. And I can't talk. And for those of you that know me, I, I like to talk, but to not be able to utter words. And then to, you know, 
to have your wife tell you what happened and to not be able to see your kids and to think to yourself what they're thinking and what your family went through. Brutal. They let me home uh, March 12th. Um, I'm in the process of recovery. Um, It will be a, a slow journey, but they say I'll recover which again is, is a miracle. Now, I, I, bring up, I bring up what happened to me over the last few months. Is, well, first to explain why I haven't been here. So I hope I have your grace for that. Um, it wasn't my choosing. Um, would have never thought I'd be back for Easter, um, but I am. But here's, I've been asked, Zach, what have you learned? There's a lot of lessons, again, a lot of things I could share that would preach. But again, I want to go back to the macro lesson, because I really relate to Lazarus. First, let let me say, the the Lord performed a miracle in my life, and it had nothing to do with me. I had no part of it. I was as dead as you could be, as unresponsive as you could be. I was laying there at the mercy of a decision from the divine. And yet God, for, for, for simply his grace, made a decision that it wasn't time for me to die. Jesus made a decision that in regards to Zach Adams, I needed to live, that it was not time for me to die. And thus he intervened, and I opened my eyes. The doctors had no part of it. The physical world had no part of it. The doctors had no part of it. Jesus made a decision that I was not ready to die. Now, here's the takeaway. Why did Jesus intervene in Lazarus' life? Well, it wasn't time for him to die. And why? Well, Jesus had a plan for Lazarus. You see, when Jesus says you're going to live, There's always a reason. When he grants life, prolongs death, there's a purpose. One of the things that I can say, and it is, it is a, it is a weight, is that I can say without any question that God has a plan for my life. And I can say that unequivocally for one reason. I'm alive. When I should have been dead. Now we're told that the wages of sin is what? It's death. So here's the application. What's interesting is that today, through what I've gone through, landing on Doors' footstep, seeing God intervene, seeing I should have died, but now I'm alive, all of that that I've gone through over the last few months, yes, I can say Jesus has a purpose for my life, I can say that because I'm alive and I'm not dead. But here's the interesting thought. That reality is as applicable today as it was in December. Because in December I was alive. Which means what? That God had a plan for my life in December. Now I went through an experience to be reminded of what was true in December. I had to taste death to be reminded that if you're alive... God has a plan and a purpose. Now, I look around this room, and you guys are alive. 
you're alive. And so I challenge you this morning, why? Why are you alive and not dead when the wages of sin is death? Well, I'll answer that question. Because Jesus has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. If you are breathing, and not just breathing, at one point, you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You, you were unresponsive. You were as dead as you could get. And, and you did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to earn it because you were dead. You can't do anything when you're dead. Jesus showed up in your life at some point. He said, Amy, come forth. Or Chris, rise. And you came alive. You see, the resurrected life, when Jesus speaks and raises us from the dead and gives us life, he never does it without a purpose. He never does it without a reason. You are alive. And that is all the evidence that you need to realize that there's a plan, that Jesus has a plan for you. You're not a snowflake. It's God's grace. It's his mercy. So the big lesson that I learned is really a reminder of what it's so easy for us to forget. And that is that Jesus died on the cross to raise us to life, to give us life for a reason. And that your life has a reason. Your life has a purpose. Now, it's between you and Jesus to figure out what that is. You know, we're not told what happened with Lazarus. But I can guarantee you his life was never the same. He had tasted and seen the goodness of God. And you're breathing. Don't take it for granted. And not just are you breathing, but Jesus has resurrected what was dead in you to life. Don't take it for granted. So, Father, Lord.